0: Seven Minutes in Hell by Maratricious Lee Read by Literarian Chapter 6 Defying Conventions Crowley waited out the last hours in something that was almost close to a real heaven, he thought. Aziraphale had eventually nodded off in his embrace and the demon was watching him sleep. If he'd had his way he'd be able to watch him for as long as he needed to rest, holding him pillowed on his shoulder, breathing in his sweet exhalations, watching the fluttering of his eyelids and wondering what he dreamed. Crowley liked to sleep because he liked to dream, and for the most part he dreamed about azirafel Nothing terribly erotic over the millennia, No, that was saved for waking hours of afternoon fantasies and midnight insomniac longings. But regular life things like walking in the park together, having dinner together, seeing the opera together, having a little brandy in the stockroom of the bookshop before Crowley of course had to go home. The demon remembered a version of the afterlife he'd heard about once, and how funny he used to think it was. In this heaven, everything was exactly the same. If you died a prince, you were still a prince. And if you died a latrine digger, you were still a latrine digger. Your days in the afterlife passed exactly as they had before death. Working, sleeping, the little distractions of hobbies and romance and sport. The only difference was that you always had enough to eat. Every day. Crowley wasn't laughing about it now. That's what his dreams had been. Always doing the various mundane things with Aziraphale. The tiny interactions that would forever mean so much. The only difference is that they could do it openly, without fear of hell or heaven. He wished he dared to sleep too. He'd reached a level of exhaustion he couldn't remember feeling since the 14th century. But at least in the 14th century, the infernal host wasn't out there baying for his blood. And if he and his angel didn't deal with this issue right now, they might as well just shut the door and stay in this pocket dimension for eternity, because nothing in the human realm would be anywhere approaching safe ever again. A tendril of contact to his appearance on the mortal plane, and he sighed. False dawn was fading. It was time. He stroked his fingertips along Aziraphale's cheek, lightening the sky in his pocket dimension to mimic the oncoming sunrise of Earth. Hey. Hey, angel. Time to wake up. We've got to get going soon. Mm, he sighed. "'The blue eyes fluttered open, looking up at him, sleep-drunk and guileless. "'Hey, handsome!' Crowley swallowed the lump in his throat "'and was careful to give one of his regular devil-may-care smirks. "'Look who's talking! "'It's time we get our plans in order.' "'A gentle dawn held itself around the dunes.' The lovers broke apart far enough to sit cross-legged facing each other in the nest of pillows and blankets and talk strategy. Do you remember all the higher staff in heaven? The ones that didn't fall with the rest of us? Can't forget the smug bastards. I'm solid on that. What about you? Does heaven have intel on what the dukes and lords of hell look like these days? not near so much as they'd like, and never so much that I could trust I'd recognize them properly on sight. So Crawley gave him a crash course in the who's who of hell, feeling his heart break with affection at the look of intense concentration on Aziraphale's face. The angel might forget which place in London was the third alternate rendezvous half the time, but when it really mattered, he could memorize the Brixton phone book and recite it back to you now to learn how to make and keep up appearances possibly the easiest part would be for you to practice going out into mine and coming back here the ways open once you've been to my stronghold and you have my consent you can come and go here as you please anytime you please from anywhere in the human world so look back out into the real world and step into the body that is sitting on the corner of the bed Aziraphale settled back on his haunches, straightened his spine, shut his eyes, and disappeared. Crowley watched him through his inner gaze, as the appearance of Crowley on the bed slowly looked around the room, then lifted each hand in turn. Then Aziraphale was back with him in the pocket universe. It feels bizarre, he said in disturbed tones. It's like wearing two entire sets of clothes, one on top of the other. You'll have some time to practice and get used to it once I've gone out to take a look at what's left of your shop. I'll want you to wait and give me an hour or two's head start. Now, the next step is for you to make an appearance of yourself for me. Feel your own body right now. Azirafel gave him a look that was positively salacious. I mean, feel it as a thing that you possess. It isn't yourself. It's only an item. It's not who you are. It's not you. It's something that surrounds you. Take that feeling and push it back out into the human plane of existence. Make it sit on the other corner of the bed, beside mine. But won't that just send my physical body back into the world? I mean... I'm always conscious of the fact that it's a body and not the same as my actual eternal self. It was a valid question, and since he devised most of his little tricks on his own, he had no experience in receiving instruction that he could then pass on to someone else. Think of the Mona Lisa, he murmured at last. Millions upon millions of people have seen her in person. And hundreds of millions have seen her represented in the media. She's practically the most studied and popular painting in history. Of course. And yet, there's so much that people believe about her that is just plain wrong. They think she's a freaking huge canvas, when really she's like an 80 by 50 centimeter wooden plank. Aziraphale just stared at him. So, if you took all those millions, possibly billions of ideas and thoughts about the Mona Lisa over the centuries and you averaged them all together, you would probably get a good concept that was rather close to reality. Humans are good like that. And if you ask just one of them about something, they'll probably get it wrong. But average out the answer of hundreds of them and you'll hit the mark. So think of a layer that sits just on top of your skin, angel. A layer comprised of every glance that's been put your way over the millennia by angels and demons and humans. Every time someone's seen you and thought about you, whether they were projecting some sort of reflection of themselves or they were actually experiencing you, The gestalt of those ideas surrounding you, pushed out into the world and made its own simulacrum for a while, is an appearance. The angel shut his eyes and frowned in concentration. A tiny line appeared between his eyebrows and Crowley quietly endured, as he had for six millennia, the urge to lick it. If he stuck his forked tongue out all the way, he'd barely even have to lean forward to do it. All right, take a look. I think I've done it. And he had. There was a perfect replica of Aziraphale sitting on the other corner of the bed, complete in every detail, down to the prim little knots on his shoelaces. My clever darling, Crawley purred his approval. So, are we ready to go? Aziraphale bit his lip. Must we? Yeah, I think we got her, But hey, it's just a standard old walkabout. Make our presence as known, meet up at St. James around 1pm and compare notes. Nothing funny. You know, they might not have the guts to do anything. They both knew it was a lie. Both heaven and hell needed scapegoats for yesterday's colossal cock-up of an Armageddon. And it was a question of when far more than if... As Raphael reached out to take his face between his palms and pull their foreheads together, breathing him in. No matter what happens, know that I love you. No matter what happens, I love you, always have, and I always will. Always and forever, Angel. So let's get on with it. Soonest gone, soonest back. One last kiss for luck. Crowley shut his eyes, the better to memorize every sensation in this moment. Then Aziraphale was gone and his demon followed, shunting themselves into their new appearances. Aziraphale stood up in the mortal plane, settling his jacket, tugging down his waistcoat, then adjusting his bow tie. He turned to look down at Crowley, and smiled a smile of such endearing sweetness that the angel was pierced to the quick. How closely his demon had studied him to know that expression and be able to duplicate it so well. Thank you, his soft and cultured voice emanated from that mirror image, for a most lovely evening. See you in the afternoon, my dear? Yeah, the being in black croaked remembering to lounge back on one elbow on the mattress as if it took all the weight of his upper half to balance that of his pelvis. See you then. Crowley shut his eyes and stayed on the bed. He listened as the apparent angel made his way to the door and left the flat. Then he got up and paced the bedroom slowly and deliberately. Aziraphale had no idea how the demon did it. This thing felt all wrong. It was really like wearing a full suit on top of another suit, like trousers on top of pants on top of trousers on top of pants. It felt like at least four wedgies just waiting to happen. Ah, that was it. The demon simply magicked his clothes into existence instead of properly buying bespoke. So he was basically naked inside whatever appearance he wore. Aziraphale felt all flattery and covered it with a low cough as he sank back down onto the mattress. His demon was naked inside an appearance of his own body. What daydreams he wanted to have about that. Maybe there was some fun they could have with... No. Business first and pray to somebody that time for fun later would still exist. He sat up on the bed and did the strange mental-spiritual flip that took him back into Crowley's pocket universe. The transit got quicker and easier every time he practiced it. He was standing beside the little Bedouin canopy that shielded Crowley's bed nest, even though the angel was sure that practically nothing like weather happened in this tiny dimension. Hmm... There was no place to hang clothing here. As Raphael thought about it for a few more seconds, then placed his hands together, palms touching. He opened them slowly, and a blue light filled the space between them, consolidating into a window, and then, as he spread his arms wider, a doorway into what appeared to be a clothing closet. It had wooden sides and a metal rod with a few nice wooden hangers dangling from it and even a light bulb in the ceiling that was already switched on. Aziraphale undressed carefully, hanging up each garment and folding his small clothes to put in a dresser that helpfully manifested to receive them. Then, standing naked on the sand, he closed up his own pocket dimension again. Hmm. His dimension inside of his soul, inside of Crowley's dimension, inside of Crowley's soul... He wondered if he could make his dimension bigger, as Crowley had done, and then perhaps they could even put another one inside it of something of the both of them. It was a bit like a Matryoshka doll, if you could open the smallest doll, and it had the biggest one inside it. A dimension like that, inside both an ethereal and an infernal soul, would be utterly safe from anything that either host could attempt something to think about, assuming they survived. Aziraphale stepped back out into Crowley's appearance, and now it felt alright. Like wearing one or two layers of clothing instead of four or five. Yet he was conscious of the fact that Crowley's magically summoned clothing was... well... It was inferior, that's what it was. And he refused to apologize for the thought, because he was here alone and Crowley would never know. However... If Aziraphale was going to what might very well be his own obliteration, he would be damn he would be blessed. He'd be absolutely buggered if he was going to do it in a pretapote. It's not that Crowley didn't have standards, he thought, as he miracled new clothing into existence and laid it out on the bed. All of it practically identical to what the appearance was already wearing but with the hand-stitching and little details that really elevated an outfit to a proper status. It's just that Crowley's mm, values were perhaps elsewhere? And so much red! Touches of crimson everywhere in this garment. Crowley was all red and black, even as a serpent, whereas Aziraphale did dearly love his comfortable warm browns and creamy off-whites. Well, nobody would notice if he changed the collar just a bit, just to remind himself that even though he might be dragged into hell wearing his lover's appearance and no one in heaven would care, he was still an angel. Even if just to Crowley, he banished the appearance's magic clothing without a thought, then realized and looked down. Oh my somebody. He'd seen this body from the same vantage point as if through a glass darkly, an image overlaid on whatever his gaze took in or on the twilight behind his eyelids. It was his first time seeing it in person, as it were. He ran nimble long fingers over his chest, where sparse red hairs bridged the gap between two delicious little nipples he'd been aching to suck. And speaking of suck, further down the taut flat plane of Crowley's abdomen hung a cock that matched the rest of his serpentine self. Long and not quite slender. It was a perfect mouth size, enough to easily breach the back of Aziraphale's throat when it was properly roused and round out his lips. He gave it a stroke or two, but no. Even appearances knew his vow, and it was no use. Without Crowley actually present physically or spiritually, nothing could come of playtime. So he dressed himself slowly in the new and better suit, fingering the tartan collar that lay around the back of his neck like a fallen halo. Time to practice sauntering around, swinging the sizable piece by the metronome of his hips. Meanwhile, Crowley, wearing Aziraphale's face, had strolled the few kilometers from his flat to where the bookshop had been. He could have taken a cab, sure, but he wanted to be alone with his thoughts for a while. Aziraphale, his angel. He was... so beautiful... Crowley'd never thought he'd get to lay hands, much less lips, on a creature so perfect, so wonderful. Perfectly perplexing and wonderfully frustrating. All of his little foibles and his put-up and fussiness that was 95% for show. Crowley was certain. And his previous, constant inability to admit what Crowley had tried to coax forth for millennia. Yes, this is real. Yes, we really do feel things for each other. Yes, we might be. No, are absolutely more closely connected to one another than we are to our hosts and their lords or ladies or ladies as the case might be. Thanks somebody, the near miss of doomsday may have finally resolved that issue. And all these daylight fantasies these last 4 years The demon had gone back and forth thinking that there must be an actual connection between both of their conscious souls. Or that he was fooling himself with such magnificent imagining that it came up with dark, delectable, incredible ideas of how to attempt to pleasure a body, ideas that Crowley had never discovered in his brief ventures into pornography. Or that he was going mad that had been a possibility also. It had been more than gratifying to see the shock on Aziraphale's face when he said he'd known all along. Well, he had been pretty sure, at least. What he hadn't yet had a chance to mention was that after those little mind games, so to speak, had started, Crowley had gone around to look at and read more porn. He'd kept one thought squarely in the forefront of his mind. What if this wasn't two random humans, but me and Aziraphale? From there, his education had become very pleasant distraction from the looming apocalypse. At least once a week, and sometimes more, Crowley and Aziraphale would commune in the shadows of their souls. The angel would suggest things, and the demon would try them on himself to what appeared to be their mutual satisfaction. Then, when the initial orgasmic haze cleared, Crowley would go to the internet. He'd open a search engine, type in a rough description of what Aziraphale had dictated, and the internet would helpfully provide several similar examples and offer suggestions of other acts that had been enjoyed by people on similar searches. He'd gone down the rabbit hole with far more gusto in these past four years, always led by the thought... What if that were me and him? What if he was doing that to me? Or I to him? There was only ever, had only ever been, one him. And Crowley had learned much, both from his beloved teacher and from his time on the internet, and had at last found the things he truly enjoyed. The things that, while watching, even with two human strangers involved in it, still made him feel joy and passion on a level beyond the physical. He'd dimly sensed that Aziraphale's pleasure was bound up in his own, somehow. With this new information regarding the angel's vow, it would be interesting to see how it meshed with Crowley's as yet unshared new hobby. Then the demon found himself standing in the center of the street, looking up into the sunrise, over Aziraphale's completely undamaged shop. Just as he'd expected. Thank Adam. What a great kid. With absolutely no effort, interference or conflicting values foisted on him from either side, he turned out quite well. The shop door opened obediently at his approach. Crowley, using Aziraphale's appearance, strolled slowly through the shop, touching things here and there. To an observer, he might have appeared very restrained. To a specialized observer, he would have been seen to be working very hard. He was, in fact, memorizing the state of the bookshop and every single object within it at a molecular level, and comparing it with the previous version stored in his memory. For a mind that could, and had, in the past created nebula dozens of light minutes across, carefully balancing the ratios of dust and gases so as to make them star nurseries, the breeding grounds of new stellar systems, this was relatively simple. He continued his orderly way through until he reached Aziraphale's antique writing desk. There, on the topmost shelf, was a full first edition collection of Richmond Crompton's Just William series. Crowley raised his appearance's eyebrows. Those are new, he murmured. He continued his review. Everything else in the shop was pretty much as expected. The stockroom had the exact same boxes and contents within it as it had on Friday, although the framed poster in the public restroom opposite the mirror appeared to be the enlarged cover of a novel about a detective who was also a pirate and cowboys and dinosaurs and some sort of alien sources might be involved somehow. Huh. Then, tucked away in an alcove just before the emergency exit doorway, was another little wooden door he'd never noticed before, marked with a sign staff only. Aziraphale smiled wryly. He wasn't staff. He was a freelance. But even he knew the rules. At the same time, though, if he was going to duplicate the entire bookshop in his pocket dimension, because he would rather gnaw his entire right arm off than watch his angel's beloved books burn ever again, he would have to know all of it. So he put his hand to the doorknob, and the door opened at his touch. When it closed behind him, it bolted itself out of habit. At the end of a short hallway, there was a small locker-type closet with half a dozen hangers in it. Crowley turned to the right, where the room opened up. And here it all was. He'd wondered where Aziraphale's Regency silver snuffboxes got off to, now that he had the shop and didn't keep separate apartments. They were here, in drawers and on shelves. Whenever he couldn't see them, he could feel them through his extended senses. Everything that was precious to Aziraphale, even more precious than the general contents of the rest of the shop, was in this little room, books he would rather be utterly destroyed than to ever sell. His gold toga clasp from 41 A.D., A folio of Shakespeare's plays published in 1601. A linen napkin from a small Parisian crepe restaurant in 1793. The now notorious signed Oscar Wilde first editions. Crowley felt it. The overwhelming sense of love that Aziraphale had mentioned in Tadfield and the demon had desperately and vehemently pled innocence of. The lady doth protest too much, methinks. There was a ladder to a space above the shelves and drawers. Crowley stepped up one or two rungs until he could see in. It was a loft bed just under the ceiling itself, a nest made of a dozen thick-down comforters and at least six large pillows. The largest pillow was at the head of the bed and... Halfway down the wall, away from it, was a hook. From the hook hung a wooden hanger. And on the hanger was a Zirifeld suit jacket. The impression of Crowley's bite mark, left there over four years ago, was as fresh as the night he'd made it. Suddenly it seemed he could smell sawdust and pine saw, and the overwhelming surge of emotion was enough to make him giddy. He clung to the wooden sides of the ladder tightly, the pressure of the old pine under his palms helping to ground him in a beautiful reality where for just one moment everything seemed possible. All this, he thought, all this, too, will I create in my little universe. Aziraphale, in Crowley's appearance, had finally figured things out enough to brave the outside world. He was swaggering down the sidewalk when he saw the most wonderful thing parked on the distant curb. Crowley's Bentley had been restored. Ah, the grand old car. He thought for just an instant about seeing if it would respond to him, as he knew his bookshop obeyed Crowley instantly the sappy thing, but decided not to test it, hailing a cab instead. They met in St. James Park. As if all were well, and it was just another Sunday. A strawberry lolly and a vanilla with a flake, please," said the apparent demon, passing pound notes over to the vendor. "How's the car?" the apparent angel asked in carefully controlled tones. "Not a scratch on it." "How's the bookshop?" "Not as much. Not a book burned." He paced to Crowley's other side. Everything back just the way it was. He accepted the ice cream, not quite knowing what to do with it. You heard from your people yet? A shake of the head. Am I really that short? Azirafel thought. Yours? Nothing. Azirafel leaned in. Do you understand what happened yesterday? Well, I understand some of it, but some of it, the sounds of the brass band swelled in the afternoon. I'm bound to be proposing on a Saturday night, I'll be... Well, it's just a little bit too, uh, ineffable, filled in the dark shape standing nearby. The pigeons feeding nearby flew away with alacrity, having a better sense of both foreshadowing and self-preservation than most creatures. Aziraphale gestured with the strawberry dessert. Oh, that's that's funny seeing him here. That's meant to be bad luck. The figure disappeared, and so did much of the nearby Sunday park crowd that had seemed to shield them. Aziraphale, wearing Crowley's appearance, pivoted in place, shocked. Azirafel had been both bound and gagged in an instant. Later, the angel cautioned that thought, and was being dragged away by some of the smarmiest bastards of heaven's host. Renegade angels all tied up with strings, declaimed Uriel. These are a few of our favorite things, Sandalfon recited. They turned and ran, bundling Azirafel into a conveyance no one else in the park seemed to see. Stop! Stop them! But before he could give chase, a crowbar met the back of Aziraphale's head, knocking him to the pavement. His vision of the park swimming. He pushed himself up on his elbows. Good, he was still keeping up his appearance. This was what he and his demon had wanted to happen, right? They had chosen their faces and their shared side as wisely as they could, for soon enough they would be playing with fire. Raphael rolled onto one snaky hip to look up into the gruesome visage of Hastur. Suddenly, this didn't seem like such a brilliant idea. It's not a problem, the angel assured himself as the world spun around him drunkenly. It's tickety-boo. The cement path rose up to meet his face.